I think there's $40,000 to see them in shorts. How many of you guys do that? Although I think for $5,000, we should see Doug in jeans. All those in favor say aye. There'll be an offering at the end and make sure, because I think Dougie Fresh should wear jeans. And uh, it's such a great honor to be here. And again, my, my wife sends her greetings. In fact, in a few moments, we have kind of a, an encounter night where we're believing God to baptize people in the Holy Spirit in and, and, and our church. And, and uh, tonight I want to share a message. And I, I, I'm kind of new to senior pastor. I've been doing it for seven and a half years, almost eight. Well, I started my eighth year in a couple of weeks. And and I took a small a church. I was the fourth pastor in four years. There was 87 people my first Sunday. And, and uh, I gave an altar call for salvation for three months, and no one got saved. Five minutes after the service, everyone was gone. I'm thinking, like, did I make the biggest mistake of my life until Cindy walked in on a Sunday? And, and, and Cindy looked like she was a prostitute. I mean, she, she was not dressed appropriately for our church. Um, and, uh, and I looked out, and I'm thinking, like, oh, man, someone needs to let her know she needs to probably be more appropriate. And she had a young man sitting next to her, an older actually about a 55-year-old gentleman, young man, right? 55 years old, young, right? And I gave an altar call for salvation that day, and Cindy and Dean's hands went up. They gave their lives to Jesus. They went to shop, I think, at Value Village. I found out later on she'd been out of Fairbanks Correctional Facility for two days when she came to church on that Sunday, gave her life to Jesus. Her husband and her had been, uh, actually, she was engaged. She got married to her husband a week later because they'd been living together, so convicted about her lifestyle. She got married to Dean, and, and then she, uh, she went through our Living Free program, which is the Teen Challenge uh, uh, a curriculum for non-residential uh, folks, and and she start, actually she's a key leader now, leading women and uh, through drug addiction back into recovery, back into being set free. And she brought Dexter the next week to church, and Dexter smelled like the bowling alley. You know what I'm talking about? And Dexter, I mean, Dexter had a hoodie on. You barely could see him. Had tattoos up his face. Uh, Dexter was was dating a girl named Nellie, and they sat uh, right next to Dean and Cindy. And uh, when when I gave the the altar call for salvation that day, uh, uh, Dexter reaches over, grabs Nellie's hand. They raise their hand. Dexter and Nellie gave their life to Jesus the very next week. Then on a Wednesday night, I, I, I didn't know much of their story, but Cindy started coming to our Wednesday night gathering, and I was teaching through, I forget what I was teaching about, but during prayer time between the worship and, and, and the teaching, I, I had a word of knowledge that God was going to heal someone of a stomach condition. And, I, I, and so I said, does anyone have a stomach condition? And three ladies raised their hand. And I, I still didn't know Cindy's story at this time. And, and so I, I start praying, and I stop, and I said, Cindy, I feel like the Holy Spirit just told me, but not only is he going to heal your stomach, he's going to restore the years the locusts have stolen. I didn't know her story. A couple of days later, I go on vacation for a week, and my, my, my staff knows, hey, if I'm on vacation, don't call unless it's an emergency. But they called, and I thought, is there an emergency? And they said, yeah, Cindy called today, and she had to tell you the story. And I'm thinking, like, I don't, what? Well, Cindy, because of her intravenous drug usage, had developed hepatitis C. Had hepatitis C for 28 years. She went in for her annual checkup the day after we prayed for her. They drew blood. They called her back when the results came and said, I think we messed the blood up with someone else's because your blood has no hepatitis C. So they drew blood a second time, sent it to the lab, came back with no hepatitis C. Cindy was not only delivered from heroin addiction, not only is she leading life groups and small groups in our church and women through addiction recovery, she no longer has hepatitis C in her body and her blood. God completely healed her. And, and, and so... 
Now, that's a great story until you realize that she, there was two or three rows of former drug addicts in my church, and it messed up my perfect little white-collar, upper-middle-class white church. And I, had, I, all of a sudden, we filled up with people that worshipped not because they liked the song, but because God had done something so profound in their heart, they didn't matter what song it was, if that makes sense. And, 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 and then it filled up, and some people walked into church, and these new people didn't realize that there was actually seats that were saved. Now, I remember, right, you know, we, we, we served our second gathering. I don't know, Pastor, if I want to come to church where I don't know everybody's name. And I'm like, well, this isn't Cheers. And uh, I had someone come up to me once. They'd been in our church for years. They said, Pastor, we're going to leave the church. I said, why? Well, it's too big for me. And I'm thinking, like, you're not going to like heaven at all. There's a lot of Jesus' people up there. What I felt like saying was, your heart must be too small if the church is too big. What I... It began to understand is that we can sometimes be saved so long that we forget that there's an alternative to heaven. And people are going there. How many of you realize that heaven's a real place and real people go there? Because there's a real God with real answers and there's a real people with real needs. But guess what? Hell is a real place and real people go there. And, and I want to I communicate tonight in my prayers. I would preach with conviction and clarity uh, uh, and, and, and a compassion. But friends, I'm concerned. You know, the assemblies that God started 100 plus years ago, and there was such an urgency for world evangelism. That's why, really, the impetus of, of the assemblies of God has been world evangelism. And go to all the world and preach the gospel and send people. There was this urgency that, that God was coming back. And we've got to go now to reach people lost for Jesus. And I'm convinced that over time, perhaps in some of our lives, in some of our churches, in some of our spheres of influence, we've lost that urgency that hell's a real place and real people go there. And we have the answer and we carry the cure. And it's not the one Balto took to Nome. It's Jesus. Tonight, I, 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 I want to teach, uh, and, I, and I want to do a biblical theology. I kind of want to walk through the Old Testament through into the New Testament, and I want to look at, at kind of a, a, a biblical understanding of this place called hell, not to scare us, but for some of us to understand that there are people in our spheres of influence, there are Cindy's and Dexter's and real people far from Jesus. Which means... That there's never too large of a church, which means there's never enough beds at a camp. Which means you might lose your seat in the church to someone else. It might mean someone walks into the building that dresses differently than you think is appropriate and wears hats and, and different things like that and shorts like Dougie Fresh. And, and, and so as, as I'm leading this church, and we, we grew from 
87 to over 1,500, and we were the, the 16th fastest growing church in America two years ago, and it's profound what God has done. We've water baptized 100 plus people this year. Little Fairbanks, Alaska. And, and I say that, but, but I want to teach something that I, I, I've learned to instill and talk to my church about all the time. And, and see, I, I believe this. I, I believe there's something called orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is right thinking or right doctrine. We have to think right about subjects. And if we think right, we have orthodoxy. We also have orthopraxy, which is the right actions. If you have the right understanding and the right thinking and the right theology, you can have the right actions. And if you have the right actions, there's also orthopathy, the right feelings. And my prayer tonight is you'd have good orthodoxy, good orthopathy, so that it'll lead you to some orthopraxy where all of a sudden it goes from here to here to here. And we realize there's people in our orbit that don't know Jesus. And we reach them. Here's a couple of thoughts on ortho. This is, this is some orthodoxy. Number one, we all have an expiration date and an eternal destiny. Every single person has an expiration date. How many want to know we're appointed once for men to die and after that to face judgment? Life is like a vapor. It's here one moment, gone the next. We're not promised tomorrow. There's an expiration date. Hell's real and real people go there. Heaven's real and real people go there. But for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting what? Life. Because there's eternal life and there is an expiration date. Secondly, we, we know this. We all have a witness and a testimony. Every single one of us has. How many of you guys God has done something in your life that's profound? That's called a testimony. A testimony is what God has done in your life. We also have a witness. That's the attention we bring to God's testimony. But some of us have a testimony and bring no attention to it. And that's the part that becomes disobedience when God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. That means your neighborhood. That means your corner store. That means your neighbor down the road. That means the farmer on the section below, beyond you. The right thinking should direct the right actions. And I want to challenge you, we should do anything short of sin to reach people far from Jesus. We should do what no one's doing to reach people no one's reaching. There's four biblical terms for, that, that, that the Bible uses to describe hell. And I just want to give them to you quickly. And then I want to get into some scriptures. I, I won't belabor this point. But in the Old Testament, there's the word Sheol. And Sheol means the grave or the pit or the place of the departed dead, the abyss. David uses it in, in Psalms 9 verse 17 when he says, The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. How many want to know there's a realm called the realm of the dead? It's the abyss. It's Sheol. In the New Testament, there's three words. One is Gehenna. Gehenna is the New Testament equivalent to the Old Testament word, the Valley of Hinnon. The Valley of Hinnon was a real place. It was outside Jerusalem. There was a, there, there, there was a, a, a large a, a cavernous a, a cliff off outside of Jerusalem, which was the center of idolatrous worship, where, where children were burned at the hands of a god that the dog, the face of a dog and the outstretched arms. And, and they would take their babies and they would put them on the arms of Moloch's arms raised out. And they would push their babies into the fire in Moloch's belly. A real place. 
Jesus often, when he talked about hell, used the word Gehenna because he wanted, he, in their minds, see, Gehenna became the garbage dump of the region. And we'll read later on, I'll talk about it. But Hades is another place. We see Hades in, the, in, in, in Revelation many times. And this is the place or the state of the dead. It's the grave. It's death itself, Hades. And then there's Tartarus. It's the lower regions, the place of eternal punishment. It's the New Testament equivalent to Sheol, the, the belly of the earth where, 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 where it's the second death. It's where you go. It's, 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 it's the abyss. There's no, there's no way out. See, hell, hell's not time out. Hell's where people go when time runs out. And only when someone is alive do they have they a chance. See, I, I, the, the decisions people make when they're alive affects the, the, the destination they'll go when they die. That's our theology, right? Now let's trace this thought. Through the Old Testament and the New Testament, 2 Kings chapter 23, and I don't want to go too fast, but I, I want to make sure we can walk through the material quickly, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. And my prayer is some of you would break for your cities, and some of you would break for your grandkids, and some of you would break for your campus that you attend. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 10, there's a young king named Josiah who becomes king, and it says he desecrated Topeth. And Topeth literally means the place of fire, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnon. Again, again, in the New Testament, that, 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 that's the Gehenna. It's a, it's a, it's a gar, it becomes a garbage dump. It says, so, so no one could use it to sacrifice their sons and the, and the daughters in the fire of Moloch. Now, how many of you guys remember years ago the, 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 the TV show called Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Anyone remember that? Years ago, I did, a, I did a series on what Jesus would say to Buffy the Vampire and what Jesus would say to, to Marilyn Manson and what Jesus would say to Bill Clinton. It was during the whole sex scandal. And, I, and, 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 and so I kind of hit some top stuff. And, and I studied Buffy. And I went to her website. On Buffy the Vampire's website. Now, this was 20 years ago. There was an interactive game where students or people... It was called Moloch's Revenge, and you won the game when you found Moloch. They were chasing a pagan Old Testament god. Moloch was the god that people would sacrifice their babies to in the fires sacrificially to, to, to a pagan god. And, and Josiah, Josiah desecrated Topeth, this place of fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, so it was never used again for sacrifices. In Isaiah, it says this in Isaiah chapter 30, verses 33. It says, Topeth, the place of fire again, has long been prepared. It's been made ready for the king. Its fire pit has been, again, Isaiah is a prophet. He's prophesying. He's foretelling that, 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 that there's going to be a day of, of, of accountability at some point. This place is being prepared. It's been made ready for the king. The fire pit has been made deep and wide with an abundance of fire and wood. And the breath of the Lord, like a stream of burning sulfur, sets it ablaze. This place is a place where God's breath has set it ablaze. Is there's burning sulfur. You see again the imagery. And as we go into Jeremiah chapter 7, it says, They have built the high places of Topeth in the valley of Ben-Hinnon to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topeth or the valley of Ben-Hinnon, but the valley of slaughter. It is a place people will die. 
It's a real place. It goes on, for they will bear the dead in Topeth until there's no more room. Then the carcasses of the people will become food for the birds of the wild animals, and there'll be no uh, and the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness, to the voices of the bride and the bridegroom in the towns of Judea or Judah and the streets of Jerusalem, for the land will become desolate. We see Jeremiah is prophesying now that this valley of Ben Hin and Topeth is going to become a valley of slaughter, and there's going to be a lot of room, and that place is a place where bodies will burn and wild animals and dogs will be ripping the flesh off of what's burning and in that place there will be no sounds of joy or gladness and it's going to be a desolate place there's a progression here where he's telling us where it's going and now we flip the page of the new testament and and Gehenna is no longer just a valley it's it's a garbage dump when the wind blew a certain way you could smell it scholars that believe Someone had leprosy, you couldn't bury them. They'd take them out to the, to, the, to the outskirts of Gehenna and they would throw them overboard and they'd let them burn or get, dr- they'd get dr- uh, eaten or pulled apart by the wild animals and the birds. That's why the Bible says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's the gnashing of teeth? It's the dogs fighting over the, the morsels because they're hungry. They would go to the garbage dump. And the Bible says where the worm never dies. In fact, we see it. Jesus talks about it in Mark, Mark chapter 9. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands and go into hell. Hades, or Gehenna, excuse me. Where the fire never goes out, and if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, just so you know, we did have a training today for, for this ministry. Tonight, we're going to go ahead and pluck eyes off, cut hands off, whatever we want, because we'd rather have that than have you go to Gehenna, okay? And so it's not, it's, 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 it's just, we, we've sharpened the spoons. It's not going to take that much time. No. This is a hyperbole. We've used hyperboles, in, 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 if we understand forms of language, hyperbole is a, is a genre, it's, it's, it's a type of language, an over-exaggeration, we've all used it, I'm so hungry I can eat a, a horse or an elephant or a cow or, or you know, a moose if you're in Alaska. Um, I'm so hungry, and, and, or you, know, you, ever, you ever said, I'm so mad I, I could kill you? You never said that? Or if my parents find out they're going to kill me, they're not going to kill you, they're just going to be upset and disappointed, Right? We use these hyperbole, and Jesus was saying, do whatever you can to make sure your foot doesn't throw you into hell or your eyes throw you into hell. And then he goes on, and it says, where the worm uh, uh, that, that eat them do not die, and the fire is never quenched. It's never quenched. And he uses the word Gehenna here because, and, and I don't know if he taught on a day the wind was blowing right, but they could smell Gehenna from a distance, scholars believe. They could hear the wild animals and the birds fighting, the gnarls. There's weeping. Why? Because there wasn't a proper burial for someone. They're, they're in a place and there's never hope. It was, it was, it was, it was abandonment. There's no, it was, it was, it's almost disrespectful to not to have a proper burial. But if they're unclean, they would burn. In Revelation chapter 20, it says, And then I, I saw the dead, great and small. Standing before the throne, and the books were opened, another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. How many want to know there's one last test at the end of our life? 
the books will be open, and our names are either in the book of life or they're not in the book of life. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in it, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, which would be Tartarus. It would be the lowest, the Sheol, the lake of fire, the second death. Anyone whose name was not found in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Say anyone. Let that sink in for a second. You know, did you realize the only organization on planet Earth does not exist for the benefit of the members is the local church? Say it again. The only organization on planet Earth that does not exist for the benefit of the members is the local church. It is not a country club for the well. It's not a place that our building becomes our monument. It, 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 the church of Jesus Christ of current day saints is a place that exists to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus sent, he, he was sent, so he sends us. Pentecostalism is not so we can just have encounters at this altar, although I love encounters at the altar. It's so we take what happens here into the streets where people are far. Jesus came to seek and save that which is. Because God knows those who are lost. Are lost for eternity in a place called hell. It's a real place and real people go there. A few years ago I was preaching a Chi Alpha retreat in Iowa. And it was probably one of the, it was, it was probably the hardest place I've ever preached in my entire life. We had a great service in the first night, had a great service in the morning, and, and whenever you fly from Alaska, it's a red eye out, so I was tired, so I went to take a nap. I put earplugs in because the cabin was a part, uh, on the end of the cabin was a, was a deck that had a, the launch for the blob. And a couple hundred college students from Iowa were there, and how many want to know college students know how to have fun, Right? And they're, they're going to they're gonna launch their buddies so high on the blob. That would be fun to see Pastor Mark launched on the blob, wouldn't it? If $50,000 is raised, Mark's going to get launched on the blob. No, it's by Dougie Fresh. Um, but I was at this camp. I took a nap, and I didn't know how long I slept, but I woke up, and there was nobody there was no noise, and I'm thinking, like, this is kind of weird and free time and wreck to have no noise. And I woke up, and I looked out, and there's a search emergency vehicles there. There's divers in the lake. There's no teenagers, no college students around the lake. Um, someone had been swimming. One of the football players had a leg cramp when he was swimming, and he sank to the bottom of the lake and drowned. And I'm supposed to preach that night. And I'm back in my room praying, like, what am I going to preach? And I had a text I was ready to preach, and so I'm looking at my text thinking, I can't preach this. It's a story where Jesus hops into a boat with his disciples to go from this side to the other side. And I was going to preach on don't you care if we drown. That was my text for the night. I thought, well, I can't preach that. But most people, when they read that text, you know the story, right? Jesus hops into the boat, storm comes up, right? And, 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 and isn't it amazing when storms come up, we think about ourselves, 
And, and, and they go and they, they, after a while, they're pitching water out. They can't keep up with the water. And they come to a place where they, they, they wake Jesus up and they say what? Don't you care if we drown? And what does Jesus do? He gets up. He rebukes the winds and the waves. He speaks to the water. I mean, he can turn water into wine. He can walk on water. For heaven's sakes, he can calm it, right? And then he says, oh, what? Ye of little faith. And we all think it's like little faith because when you're in a storm, he's all in the boat with you. And we preach it, and we preach it real good. But I think he said we're of little faith because there's a sentence in that story we all skip past. Most all of us skip past the story where Jesus got into a boat to go to the other side. And the Bible says there were many other boats in the water with them. Yet they, they're the only boat with Jesus. And when they're freaking out in the storm, they wake him up and they say, don't you care if everyone around here that doesn't have Jesus in their boat drowns? Don't you care? Can you do something for everyone around us that's in the boat without you, Jesus? They don't say that. You know what they say? I'm so consumed with what's going on in my life right now. Could you calm my storm? And never in their conversation, and I think that's why Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. Your faith is only big enough for you. You've not thought about all the people out there that don't have me in their boat. And then Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 16. And I'll summarize it for you. So Luke chapter 16, verses 19 on, there's a rich man who lived in luxury. There's a beggar named Lazarus with open sores who would beg for the crumbs to fall from the rich man's table. And the Bible says Lazarus had open sores. The dogs would come and lick the open sores. And the Bible says they both died. How many want to know? Rich people die and poor people die. And angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's side, and the rich man died. And the Bible says in Hades he was tormented. And at one point, he he could see a, a chasm, and he could see Lazarus on Abraham's bosom. And he says in verse 24, he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue. Just give me a drop, just a drop. Because I'm an agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. Besides all this, there's a great chasm that set us apart in this place. And he said, well, can you please send him back to tell my brothers? Because I know if they see Lazarus, who they know died, come back and say that they, he saw me over here. And, and, and there's a, they, they would repent. And, 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 and Abraham says, you know, they have Moses and they have the prophets. They have all they need. Now, in the next few minutes, I want to walk through 10 quick points. You might quick points, you're a preacher. I don't know if I can trust you. But real quick, number one, 10 things I know about hell. Hell is taking place right now. There's a rich man who had everything. There's a poor man who had open sores. Both died. Both died. It's taking place right now. There's an eternal fire happening right now. Hell, number two, is always open for business. 
Motel 6 probably stole the byline. Hotel, hell keeps a light on for you. It's 24-7, 365, didn't shut down for COVID. Number three, hell takes no breaks. He's asking, would you just have Lazarus dip his finger in water and just drop it on my tongue for a moment? Hell takes no breaks. Jesus describes hell in Mark chapter 9, verse 14, 48, as the place where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out. In Matthew, it says that they, they, they will go away to eternal punishment, but righteous to eternal life. There's eternity. We all have an expiration date and eternal destiny. And it, it, there's a place where the fire never goes out. Hell takes no breaks. 24-7, 365. It, 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 the worm never dies. The fire never ceases. The, the, the Revelation 20, verse 10 says they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. And in the Greek language, ever and ever means ever and ever. Forever. Number four, hell has plenty of room. So does heaven. Hell has plenty of room. In Proverbs chapter 30, it says there are three things that are never satisfied for that never say enough. The grave, that's Sheol, the barren womb, land which never is satisfied with water, and fire which never says enough. You know, I, I sat down with some of the folks that told me, Mark, the church is getting too big. And I, I sat down, I took them out for coffee, and I said, I, said, I, I, want, to, I want you to reframe this. I, I want you to, 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 to reframe it and say, the church doesn't feel the way it used to feel. But don't say it's too big. We have to be careful with our lexicon, don't we? We have to be careful how we reframe stuff. Because is that heaven is never going to be too big. There's never going to be enough. God's will is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. He didn't come for the healthy, or he came for the sick who need a doctor. Number five, hell's not prejudice. In hell, black lives matter, white lives matter, Asians' lives matter, Midwest lives matter. Hell, it's not rich, poor. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your tribe or tongue is. Hell is an equal opportunity tormentor. Number six, hell has no parties. Hell is not an eternal Halloween party. Hell has no parties. In Jeremiah chapter 7, it says, I will bring an end to the sounds of joy and gladness and to the voice of the bride and bridegroom in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem for the land will become desolate. There's no parties in hell. And I remember when I, I, when I lived in Painesville, I was a part-time contractor helping build houses up on the, uh, up on the lakes and, and, and in that area. And, and I'd go up there and I, I remember putting, uh, you know, two by eight, uh, green treated foundations in at, with, with the lights of our truck going up there. And I remember talking to one of the guys that was there. He wasn't saved. And I talked about, about heaven and hell and just talking in discussion with him. He goes, I can't wait to go to hell and party with my friends. I'm like, you ain't going to party in your friends because number seven, this is what I know about hell. Hell, there are no friendships in hell. Walk with me for a second. Think about this for a second. 
the most terrifying aspect of hell is it's the complete and deserved separation from God and from all that's pure, holy, and beautiful. God's not in hell. God is love. If there's no love, there's no capacity for relationships. Nothing could possibly be worse than a separation from God and the torment of an evil conscience. Hell's, hell is hell for those who are essentially there because they completely alienated God and now God's not there at all. And when you're in that place without God, there's no friendships, there's no hope, there's, there's no capacity, there's jealousy, there's anger, there's rage, and there's no, there's no relief for it hell it's the worst possible punishment for any of us I also think it's a place of eternal loneliness I don't know about you there's been seasons in my life where I've been lonely and I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's an emotion that is more difficult to walk through in life than loneliness you know what I'm talking about that time when you're lonely and you don't know who to call, you don't, you don't, you can't sleep, you can't wake up, you you just you're completely isolated. That's hell, with no reprieve. Number eight, hell's a place full of memories. There's an eternal conscious suffering because Satan's the accuser of the brethren. But how many are glad in Christ there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? But if you don't have Christ Jesus, you live in constant condemnation and shame and guilt because the accuser of the brethren saying, you deserve to be here, you did this to this, and all you hear all day. And I know it's a place of memory because Abraham's on one side with Lazarus, so the rich man said, could you go tell my brothers? Because I know if my brothers knew what this was like. And I wonder... I wonder if Ed, Ed Rutherford, who w- w- was a classmate of mine who passed away when I was a senior in high school, and he knew I started the Bible club and I was passionate for Jesus, but I never reached out to Ed. I never invited him to church. I never invited him to the Bible club. I never told him about Christ. And he, I don't know if he's in heaven or hell, but if he's in hell, I wonder if he goes, how come Mark Swifel didn't just invite me? And I wonder if the accuser of the brethren's not going... You know, if so-and-so would have invited you, you wouldn't be here. I don't know. But hell's full of memories. Because outside of Christ, it's a life of eternal shame, a sense of personal guilt, without any source of forgiveness, no self-love. And number nine, hell leads to one place. Revelation 20, verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever and ever and ever. And then death, in verse 14, and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The fire is the second death. Now the tenth thing I know about hell is hell can be avoided. Friends, look at me. Hell can be avoided. Hell's hell's a real place and real people go there, but they don't have to go there. Hell is a real place because the Bible says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be what? Saved. 
As scripture says, anyone who believes on him will never be put to shame. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's why we do missions. That's why we give the missions. That's why we do capital campaigns. That's why we big build or bigger buildings. Now, I don't think every state needs buildings, but when it's 30 below in Minnesota, you need a building. Right? Someone asked me once, do you need a pastor? Would you really need a bigger building? I'm thinking, well, 40 below, yeah. Hell can be avoided. Now, now this is what I know. There's three types of people in here today. Those who don't believe in hell. That's the figment of my imagination out there. And maybe you're here, and I was riding my bike today, and I was praying for some of you, because maybe you're a teenager, and you got drugged here by your parents. Or maybe you're a husband that got drugged by your wife, and marriage has been difficult, and you've been, and, and, and you just kind of thought, well, is hell a real place? Friends, hell is a real place. If it's, it's as real as Jesus is. Or maybe you're here, and, and, and the second type of person is those who believe in hell, but don't live like there is one. Oh, we believe in it. But it doesn't change how we interact with our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers. I tell my I tell my church all the time: we all have an orbit, we have a sphere of influence, and our our, our orbit's made of our bed, our buck, and our burden. Our bed is the family, the people we live with, the people in our that are close to us. If it's an apartment complex, the people that have beds in the same complex that we have. That's our bed. We have, we have a buck. That's where we earn our income. That's where we, that's, where we, that's where we do commerce. That's where we spend our, there's people we know at the grocery store. There's people we do business with that we know. They're clients of ours. Our bed, our buck, and, and thirdly, our burden. There's things that our burdens lead us to. For, for me, it's music because I have kids that love music. For some, of, for some people in my church, it's hockey. Their life is consumed with hockey. And that's not a bad thing, but there's people around their orbit. They are called, I, I, see, I, I believe this, proximity equals responsibility. I want to close with this story. In Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 33, there's a powerful metaphor that Jesus is telling Ezekiel that he's called to be a watchman for the house of Israel. And he said, as a watchman, he, he goes on and says, as a watchman, what's a watchman's job? A watchman's job is to go to a high place and, and look out. And, and if, if, if the watchman sees uh, uh, the enemy coming, the watchman's called to blow the trumpet and warn the, the, the Israelites of impending danger. And, and, and if they warn people of their impending danger and the people don't move, the blood's not on the watchman's hand. But the Bible says that the watchman falls asleep or the watchman fails to warn, and the watchman fails to declare, hey, the t- trouble's coming, I see impending care. I, I, there's a day that someday there's an expiration date in a milk carton of your life, and if you don't know who Jesus Christ is when that expiration date's called, and we're not promised tomorrow, do you know for sure you go to heaven? If we don't say that, and those people die, the watchman is accountable for the blood is now on the watchman's hands. Church, there's a responsibility. In the Old Testament, it was a come and see environment. Come see the temple. Come see the tabernacle. Come see what God has done through God's people. Through Solomon's wealth, come and see. In the New Testament, it shifted to a go and tell. It's not enough to come and see what God does inside a church building. We have to go and tell. We have to be a part of the answer. 
And my question tonight is, on a scale of 1 to 10, on evangelism hotness, and when I say that, I'm not saying you have to walk out and, and be like idiots when it comes to evangelism. What I'm talking about? Walk up and say, well, you're going to hell. Well, thanks. Nice to meet you. My name's John. It's a whole other training for a whole other day. But my fear is this. If the church of Jesus Christ of current day saints does not live with an urgency. I don't know about you. I sure hope God comes back tomorrow. But if he doesn't, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But if I am here on this earth, it means what, Paul said? Fruitful service. In other words, I want to go and bear fruit. I want to reach people far from Jesus. I want to be a witness and use words if I have to. I want something about my life so attractive they're drawn to Jesus. Where are you at tonight? Where are you at? When I was a kid, there was an old song we sang. It says, Lord, lay some poor soul on my heart, oh God. When's the last time? Two or three times a year. We just do this in our church. We have people write down five friends they're praying for. And they pray and, they, and, 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 and we have them take pictures and text it in. And we, and we, we put together a big board with all these people. And, all, because, and we pray for them as a staff and believe God for, for, for their souls and their salvation. And, and, and every once in a while someone comes and says, Mark, one of my five got saved. When's the last time you prayed for lost souls? Now I get it, the longer we're saved, it's hard. I mean, I, I think most of the people I work with are saved. They are, I hope. Yeah, they are. I have 21 staff, and there are 23. I just added two more. And, 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 and they all have a relationship with Jesus. And so I, I work with safe people. It's really hard. And so I, I, I ride bikes. I, I enjoy riding bikes. And, and so every Tuesday night, I missed it for three, three weeks now. I've missed this Tuesday night bike ride. Uh, so two years ago, I started riding bikes with a, a city group, a mountain biking group, and we do, you know, about 2,500 feet of elevation, about 20 miles on these different bike rides, and, and we're out there, and, and the first year I did it, they're like, so what do you do for a living? Oh, that kills lots of conversations. Most of the guys I ride with, they're, they're professors at the university, and it's not North Central, it's, it's, it's liberal you. And I'll say, so I'll say, well, I, I'm, I'm a pastor. Ah, oh, blankety, blank, blank. Oh, sorry. Actually, they never apologized for cussing. They just kept cussing more. And they kind of, pro, and, but I just kept riding with them. Now, I'm just one of the guys. I don't talk like them. I don't look like them. I got two or three other guys in the church now that ride with us, and we're out there making friends with them. Now we're hooking up and riding to different times, not hooking up like the way the world hooks up with people. Sorry, okay. I want to declare that for something like that. We ride. Because I have to find a way to get outside the walls of a church and reach people far from Jesus. What's your path? I'm going to ask the worship team to come at this time. But I, I, I want to turn this place into a, a holy huddle tonight. Many of our churches are saints with no ain'ts. We need more ain'ts in our church. We need more people far from God. You know, the number one reason why people come to church is because they've been invited by a friend. 86% of those who come to church come to church because someone invited them. Do you realize that only 2% of the American church parishioners invite someone to church? 2%. 
It's the last time. So tonight, as the worship team begins to play, I, 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 I want you to do one of two things. I'm going to ask you all to stand in a moment. And either stand and come find a place at an altar or turn around where you're at now if you can't because you, your, your knees or your uh, other things. I get that. But, but friends, let's turn this into a holy war room. See, here, I had the chance of working with Fulton Buntain in Tacoma, Washington. And, and uh, he, you know, we, we heard about Holda who just passed away. That was his sister-in-law. And Pastor Buntain used to say all the time, the church was created to fight. The problem is, he said this, if we don't fight battles outside the walls of the church for people far from Jesus, we start fighting battles inside the church over the color of the carpet, the color of the walls. We fight over each other, the, the style of worship, the style of music. Oh, that guy has too long a hair. He's got no hair. That guy's got skinny jeans. I, I, these are about as skinny as I'll wear because I look like a hippopotamus so on a pogo stick if I wear anything skinnier. But we're created to fight. When I got to the church, my church, there's 87 people. Most of them were north of 60. And, and we started singing different songs. And, and, and they're like, uh, until they saw their grandkids worship and they're okay with it. And it wasn't about the worship style, but it was that you know, if your church looks nothing like your community, your church is dead. The average age of Fairbanks by one demographic study is 29. The other was 34. The average age of my church was 61 when I took it. My church was dead and had no idea. You know why? Because they had good income. Because most boards go, well, if the income's good, it must be. But here's the deal. If your income's really good, that might mean there's no new people getting saved that lower the average per person giving. Don't want to burst your bubble there. But that might mean your evangelism system's weak, but your discipleship's really strong. You can have both. What I pray for tonight is something would stir in your hearts to say, oh God, if you can use anybody, could you use me? All across this place, would you just stand and lift your fingerprints to heaven? Heaven's a real place. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here tonight. Anyone here to say, Pastor, you, you've not been living for Jesus. You, you, you maybe at one time served Jesus, but you have backslid. You're far from God. You've lost all spiritual traction. There's no studs on your spiritual tires. And you've lost, you've gone off the road. You're, and, and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you're here at camp. And for whatever reason, you're here and you're listening. And you're going, oh my goodness, I've been living like there is no hell. And I want, I want to rededicate my life to Jesus tonight. Would you just all around this place, just wave your hand at me if that's you. Just wave your hand high. And no one's looking around. Okay, I see hands. I see anyone else. Wave your hand at me real high. You're saying, Mark, I, I, I need to live like there's a hell. If you're here and you're far from God, and tonight you say, Mark, I, I, need to, I want to repent and give my life to Jesus. And I want to serve him with everything inside of me. I want you right now, wherever you're at, to slip out from your aisle and come to this altar. You might say, well, that's embarrassing. No, it's not embarrassing. If you want to go, if you, the Bible says if you'll stand before man, he'll stand before God and he'll be, he'll be, you, you won't have the accuser, the brother accuser. You have Jesus standing up saying, that's my son and my daughter. Slip out from where you are right now. I, I don't typically do that, but I feel like God, there's a couple of you in here. I don't know your decision. You might be a teenager. You might be a young adult. I don't know what it is. But, but slip out and come to this altar right now. Just come. Just come if that's you. You're far from God tonight. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. Just come right now. Wherever you're at, just come. 
Anybody else, just come. Just come. I believe there's a sacred anointing that's going to happen tonight. As you just say, God, I admit where I'm at. And God, I have an expiration date and I have an eternal destiny, but I want to change it tonight. Anyone else want to change your eternal destiny tonight? Just come. Slip out from where you are. Come. Just come. Just come. I'm going to wait a moment. Just come. There's a civil war going on inside of some of your lives. Around. A civil war going inside. You're going, if I step out, that means i got to live for him and everyone's going to see it. Yep. Yep. That's half the problem. You've been undercover. Anyone else, just come. Just slip out. Just come. Oh, God. Whether you're at the altar or not, just pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, tonight, I repent of my sin. God, I am sorry. God, you died on the cross to forgive me. Please forgive me. God, I'm not just sorry for my sin. I don't want to do it anymore. I repent. Tonight I confess you as the Lord of my life. As my life leader. Help me serve you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name.